The information provided on the Finesse Your Money podcast is not intended to constitute legal, business, financial or other professional or product advice. It is provided as general information only and is not intended as a substitute for personal advice from a qualified and licensed professional who is familiar with the facts of your particular circumstances. Ever asked yourself where your money is going? It's a common problem for businesses and people personally. Is it dumb luck to be successful with money? Or is it the smartest and most successful businesses and people that plan and know their numbers? Is your money out of control? In this first season of Finesse Your Money, we're focusing on challenges for businesses right now and practical steps that you can take to overcome them. We've also got some awesome tips from our guests about what they are personally doing to keep their money in check. Finesse Your Money is hosted by me, Janine Wilson. I've been a financial advisor for 10 years and an accountant beforehand for, well, more years than I care to say, and I'm the founder of Finesse Financial Advisors. Hello and welcome to Finesse Your Money. Today, our guest is Dr. Shibley Mustafa. Dr. Shibley is a senior veterinary surgeon who has been in practice for 17 years, having worked in general referral and emergency settings. He's the very proud owner of a group of clinics in Brisbane and an advisor to several others. On the side, he's the editor-in-chief of Love Your Pets magazine and is the author of an upcoming book, Healthy Pets, Unhappy Vets. Can't wait for that one. His main focus right now is helping pet parents to become proactive with their pet's care so that everyone in the household can enjoy happier, healthier and more fulfilling lives. Welcome, Shibley. Thank you so much, Janine. Let's launch into the questions uh, for today. What's one mistake that you see people making over and over and how can they fix it? Yeah, that's a good question. So probably the most common thing that we see in general practice would definitely be preventable disease, which could have been obviously prevented or avoided not having been done, which means you know, we're presented with cases where you know, we see things and we're like, oh, geez, didn't you know about this? Or I wish you knew about that. And, and a lot of the time people knew about it, but didn't think it was really important because you know, my dog's never had fleas before, my dog's never had worms before, so why would that be an issue? Sometimes they know about it and they genuinely just got a bit slack and sometimes they actually don't know. They don't know the difference between an intestinal worm and a heartworm and the fact that there are two different types of treatment in some cases that do that. So we do see a lot of preventable disease on a daily basis and that's probably one of the biggest mistakes. And so how to fix it? you know, use prevention, <laughs> start, start early. <laughs> it's quite simple. Start early, but you know, get aware, become aware and educated of, of what you need to, there's only a handful of things that you need to do. And I'm sure we'll get into that a bit later today, but there's only a handful of things that you need to do. And so, you know, just do them. So like that little lump on the dog's side, I mean, get in there and get it checked out early. It might be nothing, but it might be something a bit more serious. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's, a, that's a perfect example of something. The, the more common thing that we see really is dental disease. Dental disease is something that so few people know about or so few people address adequately. It's, it's all too common rather that every time they come into a consult room, we lift the lips up and we go, oh my goodness, your dog's got inflamed gums or it's got you know, yeah. pus between the teeth or something oh. like that. Yeah, it's pretty gross. It is very gross. But again, it's preventable. You know, a lot of this is preventable. And so that's, that's the biggest thing that we see. Mm. So what's one myth in your industry that people 
uh, keep buying into and why is it a myth? Yeah, right. I think there's a, there's a notion that animals come from the wild, therefore they can look after themselves. And yes, this is true. You know, they, they weren't always domesticated and under our care. However, we have to realize our input over the, you know, hundreds and hundreds of years that we have transformed these animals into domesticated dependents. And we have to then take care of them and do the things that they need. We've changed their diets. We've changed their lifestyles. We've changed everything, even their life expectancy. Yes. You know, we, we, in the wild, they would only live for a few short years. You know, if you got an infection from a, a wound and you, know, you deteriorated, then you wouldn't live past two or three years of age. We certainly wouldn't see dogs living till 13, 14 or, you know, 17 years old. Uh, and so I think that's really important is just understanding that, hey, we've already tampered with this system and now we have to continue with caring for the situation that we've created, essentially take responsibility. Yeah, because I mean, naturally in the wild, if an animal can't, you know, can no longer hunt down its food, then obviously, you know, life expectancy is short. But as you say, you know, I myself have a, a you know, a 13 year old dog and, you know, he's very dependent on us. <laughs> Absolutely. And, and, you know, they've changed from being a hunting animal that we uh, use as, as a means to track down food for ourselves. And they've now become an integral part of our family, sleeping in our beds, you know, eating sometimes from our plates, etc. And so, you know, we've just got to take that whole package and, and step up mm. to fulfilling the other roles of that Yes. So switching to something a little bit lighter, <laughs> what was your favourite game as a child? And, and is there a connection between that game and, you know, what you went on to do in your career? Uh, look, there, there probably is. Um, I grew up in a household. My dad was a GP, was a doctor, human doctor. And back in the day, you know, things were a bit less regulated. And I, I remember tagging along with my dad of an evening going to do a house call and being part of that whole process of caring for people. My dad used to look after geriatrics mm. and a lot of people who were essentially dependent and really needed that extra help and support. And all too often you'd go into someone's house and there was a dog or a cat or one of his patients had a goat. And I'd certainly got to know a lot of his patients and their pets as well. And so I think it sort of grew from there. So yes, as a game, I would play doctor. And I guess it grew from there. And instead of becoming a human doctor, I decided to switch species. Did you have animals in the household as you were growing up? Yeah, absolutely. I uh, grew up in South Africa. Well, mixed between Australia. I was born in Australia and spent some of my childhood in South Africa. And we grew up with dogs. And uh, in, in South Africa at the time, dogs served a very um, different purpose. They were very much for security. There were very few households without a dog, but our dogs were anything but security dogs. We had a pug and uh, we, had a, we had a German shepherd and both of them were just nothing but loving and big softies. And so <laughs> I don't know how good they would have been as security dogs, but absolutely, that was my childhood growing up with them. And then spending time on uh, family with farms out in the bush in uh, Southern Africa and spending time out there, a lot of wildlife, a lot of, um, you know, farm animals, goats, sheep, etc. So that was a, a big part of my childhood. Yeah, that's great. So and given our current situation, we're right in the middle of this COVID 
pandemic. If you could fast forward to the future, say in three months from now, what would the world look like? What's your thoughts on how we'll come out of this current situation? Yeah, it's really interesting. I think we'd all love to have a a crystal ball right now to see where we're going. Just yesterday, I was watching a webinar from somebody who's a bit of a business analyst, and they were following trends and looking at what's happening on the other side of the world where things started a lot earlier, countries like China. And, um, you know, he was talking about how there's this two to three month arc uh, that we're all going to, you know, go through and then hopefully come out on the other side. And, and some businesses are going to be stronger and some less so. And, and some people are going to be much stronger, obviously, as a result of what we've gone through and what we've learned. I think, personally, I think, if I said, where would we be in three months? I think we're going to be a lot more connected as people, which is really cool, because I think we've all been a little bit socially distant long before yes. it was enforced. <laughs> couldn't agree more. <laughs> and um, I think we're definitely going to be more connected as, as people and as families, which I think is super cool. And also as um, families to our pets, Uh, we are seeing this already. We're seeing people spending a lot more time at home with their pets, having more physical contact with their pets and actually starting to notice things that go, hang on, has has that been there before? I've never noticed that. And, you know, the same applies to your children or even things around the household. You're sitting there and you're like, hang on, I I had no idea we had, you know, three wasp nests sitting under our eave, you know, things like that. (laughs) We're going to become a lot more observant and connected with our own space and the people and pets closest to us. It's it's hilarious, isn't it, how um, social distancing and disconnection has caused us to be more connected. I mean, certainly from my point of view, you know, running around, running a business, running here, running there, everyone seemed to be running everywhere. And, you know, you could be in a train carriage with a thousand people, but you, you know, you never spoke to anyone. And, you know, now it just seems so important, that connection to people. And we're all coming up with amazing ways to connect and you know, it's just, you know, playing games in the household. I mean, I loved games when I was a kid and, you know, right. board games and people are back yes. playing board games and reading books to kids and really paying attention to the pets and taking them for, you know, three, four, five walks per day. I know my little dog loves getting out the front, just getting over into the lake area and having a bit of a run around. And, you know, she just didn't have the option of that. You know, it was once a day. So it's just, it has incredibly increased our social connection, even though I think it can probably be a little bit like a pressure cooker in the house at the moment. I'm very pleased that I never had to homeschool, I have to say. (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah, that's got its own challenges altogether. I'm sure anyone uh, listening who's got school-aged kids can absolutely relate to that. Uh, Shibley, you've got a couple of vet clinics in Brisbane and obviously, you know, you help people make better choices when it comes to their pets. You're very much about educating people and you've said that you're on a mission to positively impact a billion beings by 2020. That's a big, hairy, audacious goal, I have to say. Can you tell (laughs) us more about that? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I I had a a Jerry Maguire moment one night, not not the show me the money moment, but the other the other epiphany where, you know, one night I, I stayed up all night and I just had to dig really deep and think, what am I here for? What is my purpose? Why have I been put here? And what are the resources that I've been given? What are my God-given talents? And what's the environment that I've been set in? And who am I exposed to, etc.? And I thought, look, if I need to do something big, 
then it's going to include a lot of people and a lot of pets, a lot of animals. I did set the goal and it was a absolutely a big, hairy, audacious goal to positively impact a billion beings by 2020. And um, I've looked at that and I've gone, hmm, maybe it could be the end of 2020 because clearly I've, I've missed the mark for 2020, but that's okay. Like it, it doesn't matter because it actually, it set the wheels in motion deep inside me. It gave me this really strong sense of purpose where I stopped thinking about myself and my immediate family and how can we get ahead financially and all this sort of stuff. And just starting to think a bit wider and a bit, bit bigger to think, well, how can I benefit the world? How can I, and it's not about significance, it's about contribution. Mm. It's about how can I do something that's going to help others? And I think the cool thing about being a vet or being exposed to the veterinary industry is, is we realize that we are responsible for so many other creatures, beings rather. When we look at it that way, and I thought, look, if I can help pet owners to look after their pets and, and the other you know, members of their household a lot better than, than I've impacted you know, a circle of people. But if they can pass that on and if I can make some change at an industry level and if I can help other vet clinics to do that within their sphere of influence, then this is really cool and you can actually pick up some numbers pretty quickly. And so it is, it is really hard to track this and I honestly don't know where the numbers are at, but it has given me a much deeper sense of purpose and drive and I love it. It's great. That's awesome. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> I'm glad I can help with that ambition because, we, you know, we've got some listeners here today and, you know, it'll be out there in the universe for years to come. So, you know, even if uh, Absolutely. our situation we find ourselves in in 2020 doesn't get you to that, it's, it's just a matter of time, isn't it? <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. And look, thank you. And, and it, it doesn't matter really what the numbers are. You know, so as soon as I set this goal, one of my colleagues said to me, said, that's not really a smart goal, is it? He said, it's not, it's not really, you know, that specific or that measurable and, you know, all the other criteria. And I said, yeah, yeah look, I'll, I'll give you that. It's true. It's, it's not. It was one of those Jerry Maguire, I've been up all night thinking about my life. And at 5.30 a.m., I decided to get on a Facebook Live and announce it to the world so that I couldn't go back on myself. But who cares, right? No. <laughs> no judgment here. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Jimmy. Uh, so, uh, you and I are both really interested in the human condition and uh, behaviour and what influences and inspires people. And, you know, that, that's an example of it. I'm not sure that you can regularly lose sleep to that extent, but, you know, it's a great example. So do you feel that you've got to be more than a vet, you know, to your clients and, and that you're raising the bar on what others may consider purely a transactional relationship, take their dog in, get a vaccination, go home? see the vet in five years when the you know the teeth are, are gone <laughs> <laughs> hopefully not that long yeah absolutely there's a funny poster that i've seen somewhere and it, it sort of talks about the fact that a vet wears so many different hats you know they are radiologists and ultrasonographers and pathologists and diagnosticians and you know they, they're all sorts of things and amongst that, we are counsellors. We're very much counsellors because yes. quite often we see people when they're in a heightened emotional state mm. and rightfully so, you know, someone in their family household is really sick uh, or in imminent danger. And that's often when we appear or they appear to us to say, hey, can you help me? 
And, you know, yes, we share the joys of the new puppy in the household, but also all the anxiety and confusion that goes with that and uh, the frustration of <laughs> having a problem child and, you know, things that the real human feelings and emotions that go with pet ownership. Mm-hmm. And we find ourselves very much in a position of not only just treating the pet, but unofficially treating uh, their owners. <laughs> you often talk about fur babies and certainly my pets are family. In this crisis, what are the facts people should know? Thank you for asking. It's a really important question. Unfortunately, there's been a lot of misinformation that has been spread through social media and irresponsible mainstream media as well. But unfortunately, when people spread the news to say that we humans can get coronavirus or COVID specifically, COVID-19 from our pets, that is incorrect. That's false. There is nothing to support that. There is no evidence. And there's been a lot of testing done. There's a a very big uh, laboratory and they've tested around 4,000 samples from cats and dogs around the world, specifically in areas like the US where they have very high levels of human infection with COVID-19 and none of those samples have come back positive. So what that means is, yes, there's been, you know, two or three now rogue cases. And and the most recent one was the tiger, I think a tiger in the zoo in the US that had COVID in that tiger. However, it's not in a transmissible form. It's not in a form that can spread back to a human. And just as if you looked at anybody who was infected, if you looked at their environment, you would find COVID all over the place. You'd find it on the surfaces, etc. So yes, you'll find it in their pets as well. But that doesn't mean that those pets are a threat to us in bringing back COVID to the human. So that's probably the first most important thing that everybody needs to know so that they don't start doing crazy things like abandoning their pets or even worse, as we've seen in some parts of the world, euthanizing their pets because of the fear of contracting COVID. But the second thing I think that's really important for people to know, and certainly while we're socially distancing and trying to keep ourselves isolated is that vets are an essential service and they've remained open simply because if they don't, then pets do go downhill. And when when people start to distance themselves from the vet out of fear of sometimes it's cost, like let's be real. Um, Sometimes people choose not to go to the vet because they think it's going to be expensive or they fear the worst. They fear maybe the vet's going to give me bad news and tell me that little lump there is actually cancer and I have to put my dog down. You know, all sorts of thoughts go through people's mind when they think about whether they should go see their vet or not. But especially now, there's this fear of, of, of infection, this fear of if I go out there, is it safe? Is it clean? What am I going to be exposed to? And so I think the other thing that pet owners really need to know right now is that vets are really, really hardcore when it comes to infection and disease control. And in fact, we're probably, you know, from some of the other businesses out there, we're probably a lot more suited to deal with a COVID infection in that we've been practicing barrier methods and disinfection and using these high-grade chemicals for, for years and years when it comes to contagious viruses like parvovirus and kennel cough and cat flu and all of these things which are transmissible to other pets. And so, you know, we're really, really good at isolating areas and Uh, having quarantine sections of our hospitals or clinics. And so there's absolutely no need for pet owners to worry at all for either their pet safety or their own safety in going to the vet and having their pet treated. And probably the biggest fear 
that we have right now is that a lot of pets during this isolation process are unfortunately not going to receive the care that they need. And while they won't suffer from COVID-19, they will suffer from all these other diseases and illnesses which are not being treated for that reason. So the underlying message there is don't hesitate. Um, so I, I think it's uh, unusual, and I've just raised this, many of my clients are dentists, and so dental practices have had to shut down. But I would not hesitate to go to a dentist like yourself. They're so attuned to you know, cross-contamination and making sure that everything is beautifully clean and all of the rest of it. So it's probably one of the safest places to go right now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> probably Absolutely. nipping up to Woolies to grab a bottle of fruit juice or something. Absolutely. And, and certainly, like, you know, for my, my dentist colleagues out there, like I, I was having a chat to a dentist just yesterday, in fact, and it's, it's really sad because you're absolutely right. They are... geared up for infection control and, you know, reducing cross-contamination, etc. And I think it's just unfortunate that their line of work is directly in the line of fire, so to speak, you know, in that, you know, they are in people's mouths and and airways where coronavirus is spread from. And so it's, yeah, it's it's tricky. It's tricky to say the least. It is. What do you wish you'd known um, when you were starting out in your career or life in general? Oh, that's a good question. Uh, <laughs> I think the biggest thing that I, if, if I just talk about my career, because life, like that's a huge question, probably the biggest realization for myself and certainly a lot of my veterinary colleagues is that I thought I was getting in this to look after just animals. I thought I would just be dealing with just the patients and the pets. And, and as you said before, our role is also caring for their extended family. Yes. yes, I'm looking after your pet on this side, but I'm also, you know, helping council owners through their emotional roller coaster of whatever it is they're going through or their children not understanding what's happening to their pet. And we're finding ourselves having to be that. So it's really interesting that I, I just didn't know I would, as a vet, and not just myself, but any vet out there, that we would have such an integral role in people's lives. It's really rewarding and satisfying and, and it's touching to say the least. So it's a little bit like my job as a financial advisor. I mean, I love it, but, you know, people share such intimate details with you and you really go on a journey with them, you know, you know, hand in glove, helping them through making all the big decisions in life. And, and Absolutely. So- it's, uh, it's not just looking at investments or looking at superannuation or looking at that. It's really you, you're working with people with their most intimate information and their most, in, you know, most valuable assets. And so, you know, it's, it's a big job and you need sometimes broad shoulders to do it. That's true. And, and therein lies one of the challenges. Like I'm sure yourself or, or colleagues in your industry potentially got into that because they were good with numbers. Uh, you know, but but nowhere was it taught. I'm sure in 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 parts of your um, schooling, nowhere was it taught about how to be this emotional guide and and support for all of your clients who are going to pour their life story and their all of their emotion onto you, right? <laughs> and and you know, it does take a high level of emotional intelligence. And I think um, likewise in your position, Shibli. So uh, you mentioned offline that some of the clinics are really busy right now and some are really quiet. What do you think that is? Yeah, look, I think going back to what we spoke about earlier, it's, it's a fear. 
Um, if we talk about why clinics are busy, people are at home more, they're spending more time with their pets, they've suddenly got more time, you know, because they don't have to go to work for eight hours a day, they're doing things from home, and, and it's sort of flexi time, they can fit it in and around their schedule, and let's be honest, like it's kind of boring being at home and we're looking for, and I'm not suggesting people should go to their vets for this, but, but I'm saying, you know, there are a limited number of essential services and certainly as the government has clamped down more and more and is now giving fines for, you know, going to the beach or doing things like that. Um, drive. <laughs> exactly. Right. So now we kind of really need a good reason to get out of the house. So look for, for some, and, and it's as interesting because generally during school holidays, we see the spike in families coming into the vets. And part of it is because people are more available, but part of it is like, Hey kids, what should we do to let's go for an outing? Let's go to the vets. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> um, in terms of the busy clinics, that's the reason why they are busier. And that's, you know, it's, it's a good thing for the pets, obviously. And it's a good thing for those businesses because we are going to hit a drop. It's not going to last forever. If they might be busy for a period of time, but that, you know, that will, will dry up and, and people's finances are going to be a bit more scarce. And all of those things are going to happen in months to come. And so it's a good thing for those clinics who are busy right now. And it's a good thing for their pets and, and their staff members. I mean, they're trying to support you know, a whole crew of staff members that they're trying not to lay off. I know we're certainly in, in that position where we are, you know, trying to maintain all of our staff and, and look after them as much as we can. And we don't even like to use the word redundancy or even consider any of that stuff, but, but it is a reality. Going back to the other half of the question, uh, why are some clinics quiet? Again, it's, it's that fear. People worried about infection, people worried about the cost, people worried about a lot of those things. And so the good thing is that most vets, nearly all vets now have switched over to be able to offer telemedicine where you can right. reach out to your vet and, you know, from the comfort of your home, just, just as you and I are doing now, you can jump on a phone call or a Zoom session and explain what's going on with your pet and send in some photos and say, this is what I've seen. Is this something I need to worry about? And look, every state does have different regulations as to what vets can and can't do over the phone. And we've got to be very careful that, you know, we're not over-interpreting these photographs or, or mm. you know, things that we're seeing or reading or hearing about, because ultimately there's nothing like uh, a physical examination and having your hands on a pet and actually feeling what's going on and listening to the heart and you know, taking their temperature, unfortunately, you know, but, but they still need to be done in many cases to come to the correct diagnosis and not misdiagnose or mistreat a condition. But I guess the reason I'm just sharing that is that people need to know that there are other options before you get to the vet or before you have to make that big financial decision of going to the vet, that you can reach out and contact them and they will, what we call triage to say, is that important? How urgent is that? Do you need to come down to the vet? Or is that something that could wait a few months until everything settles down again? So have you pivoted your business at all over this time? Yeah, look, ultimately, that's the direction that we've pivoted in as well. Together with that, we've, we've launched something called a VIP plan. So a very important pet plan and, and the VIPP for the very important pet parents. But ultimately, <laughs> ultimately, it's a monthly sort of membership model where people can pay a set fee. So it helps them to, 
you know, calculate or, or budget for their finance and their cash flow, pay a set fee and then have their products delivered directly to their door when they are required. So when your cat's flea control or, you know, um, worming treatment is due, then it gets delivered to your household rather than a text SMS message or email saying, hey, you need to go and go down to the vets and pick up your Medicare. We're actually sending it directly to them. Right. So they don't have to leave their homes. That's a and, great idea, Shibli. <laughs> oh, thank you. And uh, look, the second thing as well is um, telemedicine or, or these sort of virtual health consultations as well. So part of that membership is you get unlimited access to teleconsultations where you can, if you do see something and you are worried about it, then you can just have that addressed and say, is this something I need to you know, I need to bring my pet in for, or is this just something you can advise me on over the phone or over an, an email, etc. So those are the two main keys that we've sort of brought into this, this program, essentially. And, and I do believe that it's something that pet owners need right now. They need that level of convenience, and they need to be able to keep themselves isolated and not have to go into the vet or anywhere else for basic things which could and should be delivered to their household. Yeah, brilliant, absolutely brilliant. So what have you done in your industry or business that you're most proud of, Shibley? What I'm most proud of is we've started an organisation recently called Vets for Good. And Vets for Good ultimately is something that supports the veterinary industry and it aligns with my mission of, of a billion beings, but ultimately it's there to support vets to create successful and sustainable practice. What a lot of people don't know despite the popular misconception, is that most vet clinics actually don't make much money at all. Most vet clinics are running at somewhere between 7 to 12% net profit. Mm -hmm. And what looks like just a little vet clinic, open the doors and go to the back half of the clinic, you'll see a full-fledged hospital with anesthetic machines and ultrasounds and x-rays and you know, full blood machines and all these things which, uh, you know, we're, we're required to have to be able to perform the things we do. And so there's a lot of expense in running veterinary business and vets are in this for the love of animals. Vets for Good is, is really there to help support them, to teach them about how to create more sustainability in their practices, not just from a financial aspect, but emotionally as well stopping them from going into burnout. And a lot of that is due to financial pressures. If, you don't, if you're not running a sustainable practice or business, then you can't afford to take on extra staff. You can't afford to go on holiday. You can't afford to see your family. You know, you just burn yourself out. The suicide rates in the veterinary industry are four times the national average. So it is a real problem that we're dealing with. So I felt I needed to do something about that. And, and that's where Vets for Good was born from. Congratulations. That sounds like an amazing initiative and certainly good on you for, for starting that initiative. Um, I, hope it, I hope it's really successful for you, Shibley. Thank you. I think it's really very necessary right now where there are a lot of businesses, not just veterinary, but you know, small businesses are shutting their doors because mm. you know, they just don't have enough of a buffer to get through this two to three month arc, whatever it is that we're talking about. You know, yes, the government subsidies can help you when your business drops by 30%, uh, you know, to help offset some of your wages. But what's what happens in between? What about those businesses that are only running with, you know, very narrow margins? 
they're going to have their head underwater for a lot longer before somebody gives them, pulls them up and gives them a breath. And absolutely. I mean, I look at it from the point of view, yes, you're right, there are certain incentives there from the government, but what about a startup business? So, you know, a startup business isn't necessarily going to have a drop in revenue because last year they were starting. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so what has been the hardest part of your career to date and how did you deal with that? The hardest part of my career, I think the, the constant hard part is seeing animals suffer needlessly. Mm-hmm. Seeing animals suffer as a result of their their carers or their parents or their owners, um, one being either ignorant or unaware of their responsibilities or duties as the carer for that, that pet. So that's one thing where they're actually unaware and ignorant. But the second thing is that they just won't step up and take responsibility. They won't take the financial responsibility. They won't make the sacrifices like taking a few minutes every day to brush your dog's teeth or to check them over for ticks and doing those things, which if they just did a little bit every day for their pet and they learned a little bit about their pet and took an interest in their pet or put some money aside and were a bit more savvy with their finances or how they manage their, their budgeting, then their pet wouldn't have to suffer. Mm. So that's gonna, definitely got to be the hardest thing that I see. There's nothing you can say, you know, you've just got to smile and, 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 do what you can do. But if I can get ahead of that and if I can help people to learn how to do those things, and that's ultimately what I'm working on right now is being able to teach people how to get ahead of that curve and do the little things on a daily basis at home, doing those little things that they need and avoiding the big vet bills and avoiding the big, big diseases and big disasters that we see. I find it incredible, Shibley. You mentioned there, you know, Sometimes people have a perception of, you know, the cost being prohibitive. But again, it's that compounding effect often that, you know, makes that bill bigger than it, you know, needed to be. I I think it's probably more than nine out of ten people that I meet that don't have a good grasp on their household budget and their finances and don't have buffers in place. And I think they're just all, you know, basic tenants of being financially adult. (laughs) hundred percent, hundred percent. And it's, it's making rational decisions and having discipline around your, your finances and also your abilities as a person and, and how much time have I got and what are my resources, not just money, but what are my resources? How much energy do I have at the end of a long shift? Uh, you know, how much time do I have to physically put into it? I, I got a call from my nephew the other day. I've got a young nephew who's about 10 and he was spending it's a lot of time at home now, obviously. And he's like, Hey, uncle Shibley, we, I I really want to get a dog and I want to do this and I want to do that. And I was like, Hey, that's great. But I want you to spend the next two weeks doing research. I want you to, (laughs) I want you to use that little tablet of yours. And instead of playing games, I want you to go on there and find out what does it cost? What does it cost to have a pet? How much time do you need to spend with them? What's the right breed for, you know, what are the breed requirements for, for your size of garden? How many walks are they going to need a day? And then I want you to write down all those things and then come back to me and tell me what you've found and tell me whether you still want a dog, <laughs> whether your mum still wants you to have a dog. <laughs> I wonder what the ratio is of people walking past the pet store in their local shopping plaza and going, oh, look at that pet. And, you know, it's unplanned. It's just quite 
quite ludicrous. I mean, you know, you yeah. just buying a, you know, a, buying into a lifetime of care and um, concern for your animals, and you know, it just doesn't make any sense to just get all caught up. I mean, I, I can only imagine that there's a lot of people right now sitting at home thinking, oh, I'd love a puppy to cuddle or a cat or whatever yeah. that is. But what happens in three months' time or six months' time when all of this is over? I mean, I, I would urge people to really carefully consider getting a new pet at this time. Mm. 100%. And look, it's a great thing to hear that adoption rates have increased and, and shelters are celebrating the fact that there's not all these dogs sitting there lonely in a, in a kennel somewhere, but instead they're in a loving household where they're surrounded by people but you're absolutely right. If people don't use this time to really find out what their responsibilities are and set out a plan and have a budget and work out what that's going to look like in three months time. I mean, look, let's be real about it. How many animals get put up for adoption after Christmas? Oh, Everybody absolutely. gets these Christmas presents. They get the cute little puppy with a red ribbon on it. And three months later, they're, they're in up for adoption. Why? Because it was an impulse buy. It was only emotional and there was nothing rational or sensible about it. Yeah, crazy times. So, Shibley, we've learned quite a lot about uh, you and your business today. So it's left me curious about what you believe is your real purpose in life. Ooh, my purpose, I feel I've, I've been put here to serve with everything that I have. So as a vet, it's certainly going to be serving the pet community and serving the pet owners that look after those. And so the more I can do to serve them and empower them and make their lives better, that would fulfill my purpose in life, I believe. Beautiful. So what are three things that our listeners need to stop doing right now or start doing? <laughs> well, I, I think the stop and start, let's stop responding or being reactive to the fake news. Let's get the facts about what we really need to do, not just during COVID, but also our responsibilities as as pet parents. The second thing, there's an analogy that was shared with me by a business coach, and that was to do with driftwood, uh, deciding whether you're going to be a piece of driftwood that just gets washed around by the currents and the waves right. or, and, and land up on a random beach, or whether you're going to make the decision to be a yacht and, uh, you know, use the same currents, the same wind, etc., but actually uh, use that to uh, forge your direction and achieve your goal and your outcome. And I think that's a really important one at this point where uh, sometimes we're just sort of going through the motions and we're very reactive and we wake up and we're like, what's going to happen today? I have no idea. Uh, let's just see what the government says. Um, and, you know, instead we can really plan this out and we can like stepping up and taking that responsibility for ourselves, for our family, for our pets, and, and the last thing I think is just to stop stressing out. At the end of the day, as, as bad as it is and as much as there's so much negativity and, and disease and death and all this uh, bad stuff going on, we've still got so much to be grateful for. We've got so much to, to celebrate in our lives. And we just need to do that both for our own sake, our health and well-being, but also for our pets. Like they're feeding off all that negative energy that we're putting onto them. They have no idea about COVID and the financial crisis and all the other stuff. And why should they, right? <laughs> why should they? So yeah, protect yourself and, and look after those people who are around you and, and we will all get through this, I've no doubt. Thank you. So where can we find you online? Do you have any sort of go-to resources that can help our listeners today? Look, the easiest way to connect is probably through my Facebook page, Dr. Shibley the Vet. 
this is something that I've, I've just put together more recently, especially to help provide good, reliable information for pet owners. Um, they can get access there to a little forum which I've run, which runs through the, the COVID questions, the frequently asked questions, and, and it was a, a live sort of forum which we held. But also I'm continuously updating that with further information. So I've put together the 16 principles that pet owners need to know. And it deals with, with a lot of these issues is, is stepping up and how to become a, a responsible pet parent. We are putting together a little course that teaches people how to do that. A lot of that course, I've, I've sort of pulled bits of that and put that into that booklet that they can download. Yeah, fabulous. Thank you so much. I'm sure I certainly appreciate that. I'm sure our listeners will too. I'd appreciate if you jumped on and followed me on, on Facebook so that you can help me with my mission of uh, positively impacting a billion beings. Because if we do this together and we each start to look after those who are immediately around us, you know, the world will be a better place. Beautiful. It's been my pleasure talking to you this morning, Shibley. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. It's been a pleasure for me too. Hope you enjoyed the show today and have some action steps you can take right now to get control of your money. Join me, Janine Wilson, next time for Finesse Your Money. Meantime, head to my website, www.finesseadvisors.com or email me at admin at finesseadvisors.com to claim a gift voucher for a discovery session with me valued at $150. Make sure you put gift voucher in the headline.